0: Hebrews chapter 13, 15 through 21, the warriors worship. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that I might be spirit filled as your teacher, Lord, to just teach what you want me to, so that is your message to hearts. Lord, change us, equip us, weapons for the right hand, weapons for the left hand, Lord, that we might be found faithful. That we might fix our eyes on Jesus in every part of our life. That we might be a reflection of your glory, your grace, your love. In all the places that we worship you. And we'll give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I missed church. I mean, I wasn't here. And I missed it. But I think the Lord needed me to cook on and bake this message a little bit longer because it's so powerful. God works these things, and when we teach the Word, He works it into our life first. And there's so much here. We'll just see how much we get through. But you pray for me as I preach. The warriors worship. I don't know if you think about yourself that way, but every child of God is a soldier of the cross. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, it says, the weapons of our warfare, you're in a holy war. If you belong to Jesus, if you haven't figured this out yet, you're targeted by Satan for destruction. Now, you're protected by the Lord, but he'll try to keep you discouraged, at least immobilized, neutral, apathetic. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of forces, fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the glory of God. But see, our weapons aren't like the world. Like you see other religions blowing things up and attacking and, and other nations have their religion and they have to go to war with different weapons and God says, no, no, that's, that's, not, what we, that's not what we do, do battle with. You know the greatest power, the greatest weapon we have is the worship of God. The worship of God. Being a disciple of Christ is not a spectator sport. If you hear a challenge about what we're going to talk about today, about the need for prayer in our life, the need for praise and worship and testimony and song, and the need To share and minister to one another in the body. The responsibility we have and the opportunity we have. What thoughts does that bring to your mind? Oh, another thing on prayer. Well, I'll feel guilty today because I know I don't pray enough. Oh, I, I suppose I should be giving more. When we talk about these things, these These weapons that God has given us in our hand for the war that we have in front of us for success that every one of us might hear, well done, faithful servant. If it just brings to your thoughts guilt, uh, I guess I should do that more, or even apathy, here we go again, then maybe you're not a disciple because these things are not things that are duties for the warrior. These are weapons. These are necessary Almost every day, the staff meets and prays in this church. And it's not because, well, we're the staff, we're being paid, we should pray. No, no. It's because the burdens that face us, the burdens that face you, are heavy on our hearts. And we anticipate God has an answer. And so we go to prayer with joy, knowing that God has the answer. God has the guidance. God has the power. God has the provision. God has the protection and the way through. We love to pray. Sometimes I read about people that say, you've got to work and sweat in prayer. And then they look at Jesus because he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in the Garden of Eden. Well, that's because of the burden that was on him. Your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world was laid upon him, and what it was facing was separation from the Father because of our sin. It wasn't that he said, well, let me work really hard and pray and sweat. Worship is something we anticipate. I hope you didn't come to church because, well, you know, it's Sunday. Because I anticipate my time with you when you come on Sunday and we get to sing together with all of our heart and lift up our voice. But it's a focus for a warrior. A warrior has to be focused 1 Timothy 2.4 says, no soldier in active service. Who is that? That's anybody. Anybody that belongs to Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. What does that mean? You can't focus on your job? No, no. The Bible also says, Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever you have in your hand, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Wherever God has placed you, you work at that as worship because all of our lives are worship. So if you're an athlete you work as hard as you can. As a student, you focus on working that you might glorify God and be and have an opportunity to reflect his glory in that. Verse 15. The first aspect of worship through him then, let us continually Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. I've grown up in church. And I just thought worship was the first three songs and the one after, before the announcements and then the offering and then we preached. Somebody would preach. I told you, I think last week, that when... One of the things that I really got from the Shepherds Conference out in California years ago is their whole staff, their whole church anticipates worship at Grace Community Church. I plan my days, I don't do a lot on Saturdays anytime, and especially Saturday night. Don't ask me to come over on Saturday night because I'll say no, because this is game day to me. This is the war, this is the opportunity for worship. And one of the great weapons of our warfare is a heart full of worship to God. First of all, it says, through him then. It's because of him we can worship. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom and now we have access as believer priests to come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. It's because He has sanctified us and made us kings and priests unto Him that we can be in that throne room one day, Revelation chapter 5, and sing with supernatural strength and power. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Years ago when they had some men's conferences around the country, they would have a choir at each one of these conferences and all the men wore on their t-shirts Real men sing real loud. Now, I've grown up in church where there are some guys that are just too spiritual to sing. And so they just mumble. In fact, one old guy in the church thought he'd impress me by saying, well, brother, I just come for the preaching. Well, you're in sin then. Because if you're here for the preaching, you're here, you don't anticipate making a joyful noise. You don't think much of Jesus. Jesus. Now this is not the only time to be singing and making a joyful noise. And maybe your excuse is, "Well, I, you know, I can't sing on key." The Bible doesn't say that. God'll tune you up when you get to heaven. But He said, "Make a joyful noise." You see, we shout about what we want to. Some of those same guys that wouldn't give a holy burp in church, oh man, when the Broncos are losing, they're full of cursing, and when they're winning, they're full of praise. It was interesting, when I first came to this church 30, over 32 years ago, 32 years ago uh, I noticed, we had an evening service, and I noticed if the uh, Broncos had won, there was no energy left for worship. And if the Broncos had lost, there was no desire for any kind of worship, because they already worshipped. Don't kid yourself. What goes on in professional sports today has a lot to do with worship. But I'm telling you, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, there's no spectators. We are to be on the front lines, and part of that is worship. One of the things I really enjoyed when I was a soldier, and I hadn't even thought about that we did this, but when we began to learn how to right and left and march and double time, What we also did was chant and sing. And so we would make those chants. And a lot of those chants, I kind of didn't sing them because they were pretty gross and awful. But there was something about all those guys singing together what the drill sergeant was leading us in, and it kept you going. But not nearly as wonderful a song is when I've been in places and pastors out there, Shepherds Conference, two or 3,000 pastors, sometimes without any instruments, lifting voices of praise, men singing loud. That's one thing that sets you apart as a church. Do you know that? If you're new here and you just came to mumble, that's all right. You get to mumble one week, but you better sing next week. Because we anticipate this time. God loves us to sing his praise. Say, well, I don't know that song. That's all right. Just say watermelon, watermelon really loudly. You'll get it. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs at the end. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, O Lord. He says, though, continually, it's not just church. People have told me over the years, man, your ch- church sings loud. That's a reason for that. Almost every service, Jason will take a time where the instruments go down and we just hear you sing because that's what God loves a voice that comes from your heart. God loves for us to worship his name. But he says continually, continually. We read that psalm this morning, Psalm 149. Let them have a shout of praise in their heart and a sword in their hand. Romans chapter 12, verse one says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, because of God's great mercy, that you present your body a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable unto God. What is that sacrifice? Well, a sacrifice has no will of its own. It says, Lord, I belong to you. Then it says, holy, that's separated unto God. This is your spiritual service of worship. So if you're a teacher, if you're a student, if you're an athlete, if you're a doctor, if you're a mechanic, you're a lawyer, when you're doing your work focused on God, That is worship. That is worship. Whatever you have in your hand, do it heartily unto the Lord. See, for the believer, we are looking for God in every circumstance. If you're not focused on the Lord, even if you're a believer, you're a pinball. So, what do you mean by that, Pastor? That's not very nice. You're getting shot over here, and you're never looking at the Lord, and you have this question, why me, Lord? Why would you do this to me? You're not looking at the Lord, and every once in a while you sink in a hole. And you say, Oh, this is nice, I'm getting points. Then you're off again, right? Bouncing around till you go down the slot because you're not following the Lord, you're just kind of letting life happen. But a warrior is focused on the leader, He's saying, Lord, where are we next? And we're always looking for the Lord in every circumstance. Because there's always something to worship God about. See, God, Jesus modeled how we're supposed to walk in this world. We like to sometimes as humans say, well, that was Jesus, and then we're out of the mix. We don't have to be that faithful. We don't have to give. We don't have to worship like that because that was Jesus. You know, the Bible says that he was in the form of God, Philippians 2, and he humbled himself, taking upon himself human flesh, and become a, becoming obedient even unto the death of the cross. And John 5, 19 and 20 shows us how Jesus lived his life. He was telling the people that doubted him. He was telling them, no, I'm under authority. The son sees where the father is working and he gets there and he follows. He works there too. Henry Blackaby brought some principles out of that, and he wrote a book called Experiencing God, but it's just the application of Scripture. God is always at work around us. It's our job through prayer and through focusing on Him and to the Word to get there and be obedient. Jesus said, follow me. It says what this praise is. It's the giving of thanks. When? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. That means in good times, we sang about that, in bad times, we give thanks. See, the difference is giving thanks is not the same as a reaction to your emotion. When you were in the world, when you were lost, when you were separated from Christ, you had times of elation And so you could be thankful for those, but as a believer, your emotion no longer rules. The Holy Spirit rules your heart. Now you have the opportunity to make decisions to honor God. And he says, even if it's a trial, you start and you say, God, I thank you that you sit on the throne, that you're sovereign, that you understand what's going on. And Lord, my ears are open. I tell people going through really difficult times If you will listen, you will hear God speak during this time more clearly than you've ever spoken. Now the challenge for you is will you obey him? Now the protection is if you've listened to the word of God and your pastor keeps saying, get God's word in your heart, memorize scripture, you'll give the Holy Spirit something to use. When you're going through the trial... The first thing he may bring to your mind is in everything give thanks. And you don't feel thankful and you don't know even what to say. And you say, Lord, I give you thanks. And you know what the Lord does? Then he leads you to the next scripture that he wants you. He takes the salve of his word and he puts it on that hurt. And many times he has to pick you up and carry you through that trial. But it's as you listen to him and you follow him. And you give thanks in everything. It's a discipline. It's a discipline that comes to the word of God. When, when Paul talked about himself in the first in the very beginning of the doctrine that he taught about salvation in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 5, he talked about that God had called him to be an apostle to bring the discipline of the gospel to the Gentiles. To be a disciple to come under God's authority. And sometimes we understand what's going on, but we understand God's word, and he says in everything give thanks, just just then give thanks. Secondly, he says, and do not neglect doing good and sharing. For which such sacrifice, God is pleased. That's another kind of offering, isn't it? We have the offering of our lips, of songs, and of testimonies, and I, want to, I don't want to miss this. Listen, your testimonies are so important. You know, that's why I live for my small group. Because I anticipate getting there and hearing what God is doing in people's lives. And the things that we've been praying for and how he's answered, how he's led, how he's provided, how he is protecting. Doug Wookie and I were at a wedding many years ago and everybody we thought was Christian there and... The father bride was sitting at our table the next morning when they're having the big breakfast and we're at open presents, and they all went to a Baptist church. And so Doug and I were sitting there, and Doug and I both loved your testimony. So I said, Well, hey, man, tell me your testimony. My what? You know, your testimony. What do you mean? You know, how you came to know Christ, that story, how God worked in your life or reached down and grabbed you, and you were lost, and now you're saved, you're blind, now you see. Well, I, uh, my mom and dad grew up in this church, and I was in this church, and so here I am. Oh, well, pass the eggs. I looked at Doug. How can you be a Christian when you don't have a story about how God saved you out of darkness? How can, be a, uh, how can you be a Christian and not have something God is doing in your life every single day? There's opportunity to praise him. And looking for opportunities that pretty soon that's your identity. Oh, that's that God person. They're always thanking God. They're always doing this. And every time we get together, we want to hear what's God doing in your life? Because it's about God, not you. It's the sacrifice of praise, recognizing all of God's blessing. But then they're sharing, and, and, and that's the sacrifice when we're, we're praising because we're taking a risk. When you plant your flag, you're taking a risk at this offering. That people aren't going to like you. The same thing with sharing. That's ministry to one another. And you know what? There's always needs, isn't there? There's always needs. And sometimes we think, yeah, but if I just minister to everybody that is ministering, I won't have anything left for me. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're sitting on the lid. You know, that's why we operate this way in this church. When there's a need... Whether it's an an opportunity like Charlie had the other day, he said, I've been praying for this ministry for for years, and boom, now it's here. And and I think I need about this much. And we had a decision to make. We could have just written a check out of the treasury. But Elder, we said, No, no, no. We want you to find joy in this also. We want you to be praising the Lord for what he's doing also. So Charlie told Sam, well, I think it's about $2,500, but we didn't tell you on purpose. Because we do not want to manipulate anybody. We want God. We know, we are convinced that God can speak to you as clear as he speaks to us. We're not one up on that deal there. If you know the Lord, he can tell you what to do too. George Mueller, the great, the great preacher that had a, missionary, a mission for, for orphans in England, had a statement. He didn't tell anybody else what his needs were. He just told God. I know in ministry there's a lot of people know how to work, folks. I think that's wicked. I think it's wicked. So we just tell you, here's an opportunity. You pray about it, and you give what God tells you to. That's exactly what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You pray, and let each one gives. God prospers, God tells you what to give, you just give that. Guess what? God said the need wasn't 2,500, it was 3,000. So that's what He brought in. And see, that way the glory doesn't go to you. I I get a little frustrated sometimes when I go to denominational meetings because they say, well, we got to get more money out of people. Baptisms are way down. If we could just get some more money, that just rubs me the wrong way. Our focus is not to be on people. We never look at you and say, "Well, if our people would give more, we could do more." Mm-mm. Our focus is to be the Lord. And sometimes he uses finances to open and shut the door, but that's God. That's the Lord. And the reason we share it that way, you pray about this because we want you to be a part of what God's doing. But God can tell you how much to give. And if he tells you you don't give, you're not in trouble with us, you're in trouble with him. He knows how to flatten your tires, to blow up your furnace, make your water heater go bad. Because if you're a believer, you go, oh, man, that's exactly what he told me to give. (laughs) Okay, Lord, I'm listening next time, right? He does that because he loves us. He draws us close. I told you, son. And you thought, this is important. Poof, I can, just, I can just knock that hot water heater, your transmission. That's all mine. Or you could be obedient. But see, that's not our job. Our job as pastors, as leaders, is to just share the opportunity. And what happens is you'll begin to get sensitive in a positive way, about God-sized opportunities. Somebody comes in and says, we got this huge opportunity. We got this huge problem. Let's pray. Let's see if God has assigned this or not. There's all kinds of assignments out there. If this is our assignment, it'll probably be more than we can afford. And then God will have to step in and do something amazing that leads us back to singing and sharing testimonies again. You see, because God-sized opportunities are when you, God tells you to give something. You say, Lord, I don't know if I can afford it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart. So God lays it on your heart. And then not grudgingly or because you have to, but because God loves, get this, a hilarious giver. What is that? That's a person that's grown to the place. That just loves to give. Don't know too many people like that. I do know a few. And they blow my mind. And I just think, wow. Lord Jesus, I want to be like that guy. Many times he gifts people in the area of giving that way. To do exactly that to the rest of the body. Until we all grow up to the measure of the stature of Christ. In giving and ministering and sharing. Let each one do in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything. See, that's God's promise. He always has all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. In other words, you cannot give the Lord. As it is written, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He didn't say your bank account. Why? Because God wants your faith to grow. He may increase your bank account, but he doesn't want your focus to be that. He wants it to be, Lord, you give me an order. I'm your slave. I'm out the door. Because I just love to obey my Savior. Now, when we look for God-sized opportunity and we count the cost, we're obedient, God gives God-sized results. Verse 11, 2 Corinthians 9 says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing what? More worship, thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God because the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ, for the liberality of your contribution to to them and to all, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And then he brings it all all down because about the time we think wow, I've really given a lot he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Wow. But see, as a believer, as a, as a warrior, we want to be where our captain is. We want to be doing, we want to be called in the ministry where he's leading. We want to be seeing his great works. We want to be part of what he is doing. And you know, I've come to the conclusion That the greatest evangelistic impact is not a great preacher. It's when people live out the love of Christ. Jesus said, By this, all men will know you're my disciples. By what? By your doctrinal statement? By your love for one another. And you see in Acts 2, they're having a great explosion of a harvest right there in Jerusalem. And what's the result? Everybody's heart was so full of the love of Christ. If anybody had a need, they said, well, here. Hey, listen, I got some land. Let's sell that land. You have a need. Let's just give to it. It wasn't communism. It wasn't giving all the money to the apostles and them distributing it. It was individuals. How often somebody will call me up and they'll say, hey, man, I ran into this guy. And he's like 30 bucks. And I'll say, Do you have 30 bucks? Well, yeah. Well, I was just hoping the church. No, no, no. You are the church, brother. Don't miss your opportunity. Reach in your pocket and pull it out and give it to them. Even Christians get the idea that the church is this entitlement program, like the government. No, no, this is an opportunity for you to give of yourself, but but I won't have enough money. That's awesome. You just put yourself out there. God's going to have to supernaturally reach down and save you so you can pay the rent. But what's going to happen when he does that? You're going to, hey, hey, Wookiee, Wookiee, come here. I got a story for you today, right? Today, Doug, I got the story. When Christy and I were going to Bible college, I was thinking going in, if I'm going to go be a pastor... And I was just thinking youth pastor. I wasn't thinking I'd ever be a pastor because I didn't think anybody would ever listen to me. And you people keep showing up. But I figured I'll have to learn something about faith. Christian and I learned more about faith, and it all happened outside the classroom, all of it. And I still tell those stories today because you know what? That was God caring about me. And my family, personally, because sometimes God is so big, we think, well, I didn't probably use my money all the right way anyway, so I'll have to take care of myself. I'm not going to tie this week. I'm not going to give to that need I saw over there, because I kind of messed up anyway. Don't try to pull yourself out of the hole. Be obedient today, and then watch God work. God brings the results, and it's going to result in more worship to God. Verse 3, the most unpopular principle for soldiers in the whole Bible. Submission to authority. This is the offering of submission. Very clearly. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those that will give an account. I love this part. Let them... Do it with joy and not with grief because that's unprofitable for you. Listen, understand something. The elders in this church are pastors. If they were not pastors, they would not be elders. We don't have those kind. We only have elders who shepherd people, who minister the word of God to them. And our only authority, we have no personal authority in anybody's life except for my kids when they are growing up. No personal authority. The only authority we have is when we teach the word of God. And so the pressure is on us. James says, hey, don't everybody be a teacher because you're coming under the greater condemnation. And Paul told Timothy, Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, cutting it straight. So when you give the word of God, it's just the word of God. That the flock might be fed every week. You are this tremendous, amazing, accountable burden I have. And sometimes I'll get to Saturday night, and I feel a little bit like John Bunyan on Saturday night and on Monday morning. Lord, I'd rather do anything else but this. But when I'm preaching, I know that's where God wants me to be. Because it is a burden, and you are an amazing accountability And I want to make sure that what I'm giving you is from God's word. That's my responsibility. That's our responsibility as teachers. Now, what you do with it will cause either joy in our life or grief or grief in your life or joy. That's why I counsel the way I do. See, people come to me and say, it's going to take a long time. No, it won't. Don't lie. We'll get down to the point. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the word of God. For those of you that struggle in your marriage, the problem is not you haven't had good enough counseling or an example. The problem is you don't really fear God's word. Because the Bible says to husbands in 1 Peter, if you neglect your leadership and you don't honor your wife, I'm not listening to your prayers. Wow. Have had couples over the years and they're having trouble and I tell them, well, we're going to sit down we're going to talk. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the vows that you took before God. Now, some people like my sermons for marriages. A lot of people don't. They're always short. A lot of people say, beautiful sermon. I said, you meant it was short. When I did my son Ben's wedding in Colorado. My dad came up afterwards. Kind of short, wasn't it? I said, dad, you listened didn't you? Because I go to Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 18 and then we talk about wives you submit to your husband like he's Jesus we know he's not Jesus that's why you're going to need 18 to be filled with the spirit then it says husbands you love your wife as much as Christ loved the church are you doing that no then get busy but she has nothing to do with she it's you and God your responsibility end of counseling you know, well that's kind of abrupt. Listen, if you're a soldier, if you belong to Jesus Christ, that's all you need. The Holy Spirit's my counselor. And if I just begin to develop a bad attitude, you think he doesn't show up and say, you're going to treat her like what? No. Why? Because the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder both soul and spirit, joint and moral. To the believer, it's real. It's food it's instruction there's no opportunity we love him his words are true they protect they give us strength but the joy the great joy of the ministry people have said to me over the years you know i don't know how you've done it pastor 30 years in one church and those of you been here a long time you know we've had different struggles haven't we And I remember Jeff Brown's encouraging my heart by saying, now, pastor, you need to understand something. When people leave the church, they don't hate us. They just hate you. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) It's true. But I don't remember that. Oh, I know stuff happened, but that's not my focus. When I talk about the history of our church as I've known it, what I remember is the people that have come to Christ and the families that God has brought together, the marriages that he's healed, those that have gone off into ministry, that's what I remember. Because I understand, it's football. You don't play football where they got kicked, getting kicked in the shin once in a while, or getting some pleat marks. It's war. You expect there's going to be some wounds, but the joy, John MacArthur said this, it's how pastors keep going. When we do not have a loving, obedient spirit, God is displeased. Our leaders are grieved, and we lose our joy as well. Paul's joy in faithful believers was always related to their joy. He said, rejoicing in the same way, share your joy with me. You will never find a truly happy pastor apart from a happy congregation, or a happy congregation apart from a happy pastor. I want you to know I'm a happy pastor. When I brag about our church, it's not about the building. It's about this flock. We have seen so many hurting people come to this flock. And I watch them. I have nothing to I just watch them like wilted flowers. All of a sudden, they start getting some, some nourishment, and they blossom, and they grow. And I say, oh, what an amazing congregation this is. What an amazing flock of God's people. Because you love the Lord. The reason we're growing is not because I'm this great evangelist. It's because you love the Lord so much you wanna go out and tell people too. You gotta you got to come with me to church, man. You can't believe the way these people worship. That's what you say. You gotta hear this preacher, man. You gotta come. You gotta get in the fellowship. That's what makes a pastor keep going. It brings joy. And the next one kind of leads into that. That's the offering of prayer. You know, I've heard people say, we just mentioned this briefly, that sometimes you got to work at prayer. John Piper said this. I think this will help. It helped me put it in perspective. Prayer is war. Prayer is war. Prayer is not an intercom to call for a pillow, another pillow in the den so you could be more comfortable. See? Prayer is war. And those of us that are involved in the battle are saying, Lord, we need supply over here. Okay, Lord, we got this front up here. Are we supposed to go this way or that way? Lord, we're losing it here. You you need to lob in some help, right? It's not like, oh, well, let's go spend some time in prayer so God might bless. No, no. Prayer is war. He said there's a couple things you need to be praying about the pastor in these two verses, 18 and 19. First of all, he said, pray for us. We are sure we have a good conscience, desiring to do honorably in all things. But you know what? The pastor and your leaders, not just me, but the other elders, when they step up to lead, Satan paints a target on them. And as much as they desire to honor the Lord, Satan wants to attack. He wants to attack their families. We just had a, a time with the seminary students every year Clayton wants me just kind of share your testimony of of this church. And I tell them every time, I want to tell you, the h- toughest job in ministry is being the pastor's wife. Doesn't seem fair. Target should be on me, but people a lot of times think they get to me through Christy, you know. We'll just tell her. Then we'll straighten him out. Tough job, your whole family. So he says, Pray for us. As we lead, we need God's direction, we need God's strength because we don't want to be operating in the flesh, we want to be operating in the spirit. And while we desire to do all things honorably, we're just human. So we need God's protection, we need God's strength. And he says, I urge you to do this all the more, do it more. Because in his situation, his circumstance, he was separated. Now, when you read the last couple verses, we're not going to get there. It's kind of a little P.S., you know, as soon as Timothy's out from prison, I'll be coming. So I don't know if the writer of Hebrews was waiting for Timothy to get out and said, pray that Timothy get released, or whether he was in prison, pray for me so God, because he anticipated God answers prayer. That's why I love praying, that's why when you come to me and you say, maybe after search, say, Pastor, would you pray for me this? I don't say, okay, I'll pray for that. I said, no, let's pray now because I have a lot of things to pray about. I don't want to miss this. And then I always tell you, now listen, tell me when God answers. I want to be part of that party. Because when God answers prayer, it causes worship in our heart. And God's always trying to expand his worship. That's what missionary work is spreading the worship of the, run, the one true God. But he said, pray for us. The evidence that prayer is war is so powerfully illustrated in the book of Revelation. In chapter 5, verse 8, we see in the throne room this, this great stadium of worship. There's golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then in Revelation chapter six, ten. The saints who've been martyred during the tribulation, they cry with a loud voice from under the altar saying, how long, Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Two chapters later, chapter 8, when the Lord broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about an hour. And I saw the seven angels stand before God, the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints and the golden altar was before the Lord. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first sounded, they came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures were in the sea had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch. And it fell on a third part of the rivers. The name of the star is Wormwood. Third of the waters became wordwood, and many of the men died of the waters because they were bitter. That's war. As you pray for God's glory to come, for his kingdom to come, Jesus said, You pray, thy will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God glorify your name. Powerful, powerful prayer. But prayer is war, and we need to be involved. And then the last offering of worship, verses 20 and 21, is the worship of rest. say, well, pastor, all this activity of sharing and praying and, and praising and giving. How can rest be worship? Because it demonstrates your faith. It demonstrates who you're trusting. I love this part. Now, the God of peace, what did he do? He made peace at the cross for you through the death of his son. The God of peace, who brought up from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep. You see, all of the sins of all the world were laid upon our Savior, and he conquered death and sin. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to him be the power and the glory forever and ever and ever, amen. See, about the time you come to a challenge and you think, I just don't have the strength, I don't have the power, I don't have the wisdom. But you pray and you know it's God's assignment and realize it's God's gifting, it's God's power. And about the time you run out of your own fleshly ability, that's when God will show up. And pretty soon we will learn to just walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk in the power of the Spirit. He wants you to rest in Him. He wants you to trust in Him. You know, there's different ways I can preach. I can work on a sermon, and then work all these little cute things, and get you to, you know, you'll laugh at this, and be sad at this, and and there are preachers that do that. But whenever I go that way, my speech turns to peanut butter, and I get done, and I think, oh, Lord, I confess, and I get back to trusting Him, because I believe that while I need to study, I need to know what God's Word says when it comes to delivering it to you, I depend on you praying for me, because I know it's a spiritual work. And there are many Saturday nights I'm thinking, I'm, I'm having a discussion with the Lord, and I say, Lord, you know, I... I I just don't have any confidence about this. My people are all praying for me. They're praying for me. And then I come here and I have to trust in him. I have to trust in him just like you do. The first time you stepped out to witness to your friend and you knew it was God's assignment and you knew it was an opportunity and you've missed opportunities before, but you said, Lord, fill my mouth. And you shared the gospel. And that person may not have come to know Christ in that day, but you were obedient, and that's the blessing. That's it. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we do desire to worship you with all of our lives. Lord, we want to be on the front lines for you. We want to be found obedient in everything that we might hear from your lips well done. And Lord, we're so glad that you're long-suffering and you're merciful But we do rest in the promise, faithful is he that calls, he will also bring it to pass. That work he began in us, Lord, you're going to bring it to completion. And so we rest in you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we anticipate the worship that we can take part in this week. Bringing the worship of the one true God to dark places. Bringing your love, your grace, your giving, your ministry. Wherever we go, we just ask, Lord, that you use us. Keep us alert so we don't miss opportunities. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.